And so today, uh, we're going to start a new sermon series. It's a two-week series. So we just went through spiritual warfare. We're getting ready to go into a series uh, on emotionally healthy spirituality. But we're going to step back for just two weeks and talk about the church through God's eyes. Amen? The church through God's eyes. How is it that God sees his church? I want us to stand together and we're going to read a portion of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at a couple of different scriptures today, but I want to start in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 20. So you know how we do here. Let's read the scripture with gusto. Let's read it nice and loud before the Lord. Let's jump in. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Amen? Paul's funny, isn't he? Can you imagine just a one big ear? Amen. Paul's funny. He, he has an imagination, and the Holy Spirit has an imagination. Let me pray as we begin this series. Father God, I pray that you'll use this time today and next week to give us a clearer picture of what it is that your church looks like. And Lord God, that we would desire with all our heart to resemble you more fully, to be more like Christ, and to see not only individually, but as a church, the glory of God manifested through the church of God so that your name alone will be high and lifted up and praised. Lord, use this time for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Paul does have a good sense of humor, and the Holy Spirit does as we get the, these scriptures. Many of you know that recently my wife and I became grandparents for the fourth time. Amen. We've got some grandparents in the house, some parents in the house, and some who are children in the house, but uh, we were so glad, we were so excited that 
in the early morning hours, about 1.47 a.m. on Sunday morning, the 1st of September, our little one, little Logan Josiah Smith, made his way into the world. He, he was so anxious to get here, he came a month early. He came a month early, so he's a little dude. He's just a little over four pounds when he came in, but he busted into the world. And as grandparents, we are absolutely thrilled every time we see him. When we see him, we say, oh my goodness, he's changed so much. And our son and his, girl, and his girlfriend say, but you just saw him yesterday. Yes, but he's changed so much. Look at this and look at that. And you begin to see little things that are family resemblances. And we're just blessed by it. But, but here's the thing with our grandson. He, I, 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 I'm, I'm sad to announce that in his life, he has not done much of anything for the good of society at this point. He is just, he's just there. He is a sleeping, eating, crying, peeing, and pooping machine. That, that's what he does. And yet, we love him dearly. Why do we love him so much? He hasn't done anything. We love him because he is. And... We love him because he's ours. Amen? We love him because he is, and we love him because he's ours. Isn't that the reality of God's love for his church? That is the reality of God's love for his church. Listen, we're not infants ourselves. At least we don't think that we are. Maybe God does sometimes, but... And we ought to do things for him and live for him. We're old enough to know better, but God is at work in his church. I want to look over these next two weeks at four themes about what the church is. Uh, we'll look at two of them this week and two next week. Uh, the church is God's visible presence on earth. The church is God's special presence. Possession. Next week, we'll look at the fact that the church is the bride of Christ. And finally, we'll look at the fact that the church is the army of God. So I want to just push right in and look at what God has to say about his church uh, through these scriptures. So let's look at the first point. The church is God's visible presence on earth. When I look at Josiah... Uh, uh, LJ, I call him little LJ. His name is Logan Josiah, but I like that Josiah part, that Bible part just, just hits me. So when I look at this little dude and when others look at him, they're always saying, oh, he's got his father's ears. He's got his mother's this or that. When I look at kids, I just say, okay, that looks like a little baby to me. I, I don't see all that stuff always the way other people see it, but I know this. If any of my grandchildren, if I ever see a little jacked up off-center nose like my nose, I'll say, I know that's mine. Or if I see a, a toe next to their big toe that's on a 90-degree angle that goes over the big toe, I'll say, I know that's mine. But here's the reality. Whether I can see my resemblance in them or whether I can't see it, the reality is that my DNA my wife's DNA, our DNA is flowing through our children and into future generations. It 
is there, whether we see it or whether we don't see it. That's true of the church. That's true of God's people as well. Brothers and sisters, as I consider the church, as I was praying in this message and thinking of the church, many times what I'm grieved by is that as people of God, many times we spend so much time just looking at the state of the world and the people in this world and just shaking our heads in disgust about how much they're not doing this or how much they are doing that. But I believe that by the grace of God, we need to spend less time in disgust of the world and more time in the mirror of the Holy Scriptures looking at what God is calling us to. Amen? God is calling us to look into the mirror of his word. This past week, uh, one day I was studying and I just felt prompted, I need to get out of the study and I need to get out here and talk to some folks. And so I went to Front and Alney and walked around out there. I walked around Fifth Street and I walked around uh, the, the plaza at Walmart on Adams and in the stores out there, and I was doing a little survey of people. I was especially looking for younger people to do my survey with, and I asked them about whether they attended church more than once a, a month. If so, why did they attend church? If not, why not? But the last question that I asked as I was talking to people was, what is one thing that you would suggest that would draw younger people into the body of Christ that would make them want to be a part of the church. And mostly I talk to younger people, but I talk to older people as well. But one answer that resonated time and time again was this. Young people want to be heard. They want to be listened to. They want to feel like I'm not being immediately judged just because of something that you see. How much is that true for all of us as well as believers? When Jesus Christ sees us in his church, he, he first of all and foremost comes to us in love. There's two things that we're going to look at in this idea of the church as God's visible presence on earth. The first is this. The church is a unified body. We'll look at this in 1 Corinthians 12. And secondly, the church is a healing body. Look at that, the scripture in verse 12 and in verse 13. Particularly, I want to look at verse 13 where it says, For we were all baptized by one spirit. Tell somebody, we're baptized in one spirit. We're baptized in one spirit so as to form one body. He says, Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, no matter where you come from, no matter what you were a part of or are a part of, we are baptized by the spirit into one body. The body of Christ is is a unified body. There is one body. Listen, no one person here signifies the body of Christ. No one church is fully the body of Christ. No denomination can say that we are the body of Christ. But the body of Christ is the people of God throughout all ages, throughout all times, of all 
types and cultures of every tribe, of every tongue, and of every nation. They make up this diverse, this wonderful, this powerful thing that God calls the body of Christ. His church. And they are a visible demonstration of that body. Listen, today there is a lot of bad stuff I hear about the church. And a lot of people are turned off to the church. In fact, they'll say they're turned off to Jesus. But what I would say is the Jesus that you're turned off to, so am I. Because that's not the Jesus of the Bible. See, the Jesus that a lot of folks are turned off to is Jesus is the Jesus that's been portrayed as a racist. I'm turned off to that Jesus too. Jesus isn't behind slavery, never was. Jesus wasn't behind Jim Crow and lynching, never was. Jesus is not a white supremacist, never was, never will be. Jesus is the lover of all. If you are saying no to that Jesus, I say I'm right there with you, no to that Jesus. Others feel like Jesus is just one who is on a search and destroy mission. Jesus is coming to find those who aren't following him. He's looking for those who aren't following him, and he is coming to search, and he's coming to destroy. But the Bible tells us something else. In Luke 19.10, Jesus gives his mission statement. He says, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. See, Jesus is not coming to destroy. He is coming to save. He is coming to save. Praise be to God. Look at verse 18 here in the scriptures on the next slide. The unified body of Christ. The scripture says, but God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God, the Bible is showing us, is sovereign over what he does with his body. He puts every part just where he wanted it to be. Now, he made us all. He could have made us with an ear on the back of our head. He could have made us with feet coming out of our shoulders. Praise God he didn't do that. God is sovereign and God is good, and he puts things together in a way that honors and glorifies his name. God is not only sovereign, but God is meticulous. He puts everything in line just where he wants it to be for his glorious good purpose. Look with me at verse 21. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, now look at this in verse 22. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Look at what the scripture is saying here. Those parts of the body that appear to be weaker are indispensable. To be indispensable means I cannot do without you. You are absolutely 100% necessary. We need you. This part that is 
seems to be weaker. And look at what it says. It doesn't say that these parts are weaker parts. It says they seem to be weaker. They seem to be weaker from one way of looking at at it or another, but indeed they're not weaker. They are indispensable. They are necessary. They are needed. What might that mean in a church like ours, in a multicultural expression of the body of Christ that we have here at New Life Church? You know, historically, the reality is that, that the church has marginalize some people. That is a reality that we have to deal with. There are marginalized people groups. Whether that marginalization is by race, whether that is by economic status, no matter what that is, whether that's by gender, voices that are not heard, what the scripture is saying is those that have been marginalized are indeed indispensable to the church. We need to hear every voice as the church As a unified church, one church, one body, we need to hear every part of that body. This is how we become that visible demonstration of Christ on earth, a unified body that hears every voice. But not only is this church a unified church, but it's also a healing body. A healing body. Look with me at verses 24 through 26. The scripture says this, but God has put together, has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We know this intuitively in our physical bodies, don't we? Some years ago, I got a toothache. It was on a Thursday, and it was just a little discomfort in my tooth towards the back of my mouth. And I remember telling my wife, I've got a little bit of a toothache. She said, you should go to the doctor. I said, no, don't need to do that. I've got a busy day. I've got a lot on my schedule. I'm good. I can tough it out. I'm a man. So I went through Thursday. Friday, it started to swell up a little bit. Harriet said, you should go to the emergency room. I said, no, I know it hurts. I got a lot to do today. I can make it through the weekend. I can make it till Monday. That's what fits on my schedule. On Saturday, my wife said, you ought to go to urgent care because it was now blowing up. But I said, and and my wife also said, please go now because I need to sleep well tonight. I've got a lot to do on Monday morning. I said, no, I can make it. I can make it. I can make it. At 2.30 in the morning, on Sunday morning, I said, I can't make it anymore. I got out of the house. I ran to the car. I broke several laws. Lord, forgive me. And I got myself to the emergency room of the hospital. The people in the emergency room, the, 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 the security people, when I got there, they thought I had a gunshot wound because of the pain I was in and everything. When they found out it was a toothache, I heard them making fun of me. I was so mad, y'all. But we know that when one part of the body hurts, 
the whole body hurts. It was just a little tooth. It wasn't like I broke my leg. It wasn't a head injury. It was just a little tooth. But we know the reality that when one part of your body is in pain, your whole body is in pain. Look at what the scripture says. Verse 25, he says, its parts should have equal concern for one another. When one part is hurting, when one part is wounded, the whole body is hurt. There's an old saying. I don't even want to discuss whether it's right or wrong, but there is a lot of truth in it. It says that the church is the only army in the world that kills its wounded. People are hurting. People are wounded. Sometimes the first thing we want to know is why. We want to know, why are you wounded? Did you do it to yourself? Because if you did, (laughs) our little mercy supply is used up. Brothers and sisters, that's not the way of our God. Go to the next slide. This is a quote from a doctor who is also, he has a seminary degree as well, Dr. Jeff Davis. He says it this way. Sometimes people find more grace in a hospital than they do in a Bible-believing church. That just ought not to be. God's grace should be sufficient for all of us. It will be when we stop killing those who Jesus died to save. God, help us. The church that God sees, that God loves, is a church that heals the broken, that cares for the broken. Brothers and sisters, our bodies are made in such a way that they naturally heal themselves from many maladies, from many things. I know we've got a bunch of doctors in this room, and whenever I talk about medical stuff, I'm very self-conscious, but here's the reality. When you break a bone, when you fracture a bone, the body immediately goes to work to heal that bone. Blood flows to that broken bone. The immune system kicks in, and there is inflammation that's a part of your healing. Stem cells go there. Bone marrow goes there. It patches that up, and the healing begins to start. Your body is fearfully and wonderfully made to heal itself. And so it is in the body of Christ that God has constructed his church that when one is hurting, that there is resource in the body to go to that hurting part and to bring healing and love and mercy and grace and the power of God. The church, as God sees it through his eyes, is a healing place. When a person goes to the emergency room with a gunshot wound in their chest, no doctor worth his salt, begins to question, why did this happen? Where, was he supposed to be 
where he was supposed to be when this happened to him. Tell me about his, does he have a criminal record? A doctor that's worth his salt cares nothing about why. They care about what, and they're looking for a way to extract that wound and to heal that person. So should it be in the church. We love those who are broken, who are wounded. It's not why, it's not how, it's that you're a part of our body, and when one suffers, all suffer. Bill Wilson, who wrote a book called Christianity in the Crosshairs, puts it this way. He says, it's unfortunate, but many Christians don't demonstrate the radical grace of Jesus in such a way that will bring people back to the kingdom. You know and I know many people who are not here today. Not only are they not here at New Life, but they're not at other churches today. Many people who have been wounded by the body. And they need to know. They have to know. And they have to, to, to actually not just know it in their head. They've got to see it in practice that this church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is a place for healing. In God's eyes, the church is to be a place of God-honoring unity and a place of radical healing. Here's the question for us today. How is God calling you to more accurately reflect his presence on earth? The church is the reflection of God's people on earth. Secondly, the church is God's special possession. Turn with me, if you will, to, to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to be briefly look at a couple verses here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Scripture says these words, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's Special possession. Tell someone near you, I'm God's special possession. And tell them, and so are you. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are God's special possession. Has anyone ever had a special possession? Something that to you means the world, to anyone else it might mean nothing. I remember our first daughter, Melissa, she had what at one time on earth resembled a blanket. Over the years it became so tattered, so dirty, so jacked up, it looked like something that you'd find in a dumpster and want to run away from it, but that was her special possession. That was her blankie. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Don't say anything bad about it. Amen. We've all had things that to other people might look like it's nothing, it's insignificant, it's not important, but to us it is a special possession, something we would guard and we would keep with all of our strength, brothers and sisters, as the church of Jesus Christ, you are his special possession. We are God's special possession. In verse 9, we see three ways that that 
works itself out, what it means to be God's special possession. The first is this. He says, you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people. What does that mean to us as believers? Now, all three of these come from the Old Testament, but now they're being applied to the New Testament church of God. First of all, you're a chosen people. That means God plucked you out. He came after you. He would not leave you alone. He went everywhere and anywhere he needed to go to find you. Amen? I am so glad the God that we serve is the God in the parable it says he leaves the 99 to go after the one. He's going to find that one. And there was a day when I was that one. There was a day that many in this room can say you were that one and God left everything and anyone else and he went and found you and plucked you out and you became a member of his family. We have a God who goes after us. Brothers and sisters, if you understand this, if you get this, Christians should be the most humble people in the world because I know it's not what I did, it's what God did. He came and got me. Not only are we a chosen people, but I love this next one. He says, we're a royal priesthood. There's two things there. First of all, you're royalty. If you're a Christian, Your father is the king of the universe. I don't have to watch Downton Abbey. I I, I don't have to watch Harry and Meghan get married to see royalty. All I need to do is show up on a Sunday morning at New Life Church. Or let me put in a plug, or go to my community group. If you don't have one, you should go to one. Amen. So that's all you have to do in order to be in the presence of royalty. Princesses and princes are all around us. We are a royal priesthood. But he not only says royal, but he also says a priesthood. Now, in the Old Testament, the kings and the priests were separated. There were separate offices. And and so if you were a king, you weren't a priest. If you were a priest, you weren't a king. But here they come together and he says, you are a royal priesthood priesthood. What does a priest do in the Old Testament? The priest is the one who comes before God, offers the sacrifices, offers prayers. He is the mediary between, mediator between God and the people. He comes or she comes on behalf of the people to God and offers the sacrifices and prays to the living God. Now, Jesus Christ is the final one mediator between God and man. He is not only the high priest, he's also the sacrifice, amen? So he is the one who is the ultimate priest, the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the Bible says. But he has given us a title of being a royal priesthood. What does it mean that we are the priesthood? Last week, I talked about the fact that we all have total VIP access to the presence of the living God in our priestly capacity. In other words, we are those who go into the presence of God and we beseech our heavenly father on behalf of all of those in particular who don't yet know him. And we ask our God to intercede on their behalf and to draw them to himself. I was the one, and you went and got me. Now I pray for this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and we don't stop. We're a royal priesthood. 
Lastly, the scripture says, not only that, but we're a holy nation. We're a holy nation. A holy nation. The word holy is a word that that means to be set apart. It means to be set apart for a particular and specialized purpose. In the Old Testament, all the implements that were used in the service uh, uh, at the temple and in the tabernacle were set aside. They were sanctified as holy for use unto the Lord. There was no common use for them. They were set apart for use for God. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has set you apart to be used in his service, to be used for his glory, to be one who reflects the love and the wonder of God. What does it mean to grow in holiness? Put up that next slide. Growing in holiness means that you have a growing desire to honor God and to turn away from sin. That's just a reality. Holiness means I desire to turn away from sin. But growing, holiness, growing in holiness also means that you're living more and more like Jesus lived. And look at this last part, and loving more and more like Jesus loved. So those who are growing in holiness are not those who are saying, look at how well I have done in beating back sin in my own life. You should be like me. Why don't you join me? But we are those who point to the grace and the love and the power of our almighty and good God and say, I invite you to the same foot of the same cross of the same Jesus to receive the same Holy Spirit that I've received in order that you might also know the freedom of the children of God. Far from becoming a person marked by being judgmental toward others, growing in holiness means that you're more aware of your own faults. You're marked as a person who loves other people well and who is able to forgive. Brothers and sisters, as I close here today, this is how God views his church. You're a visible presence of Christ on earth and you are God's special possession. Here's the picture. God loves his church and he sees its beauty and at the same time he is steady at work to ensure that it reflects him more fully. Like a parent or a grandparent with their infant child, the child that just sleeps and cries and eats and poops. God looks on his church. But in his divine foresight, he just doesn't see an infant. 
He sees a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He sees a powerful army rising up to glorify his name. He sees a perfect reflection of his own glory. And by the mighty working of the Holy Spirit, God calls the things that are not as though they were. That's what he's doing in my life. My prayer is that's what he's doing in your life. That God calls the things that are not as though they were. God is calling us into his presence. He's calling us to be like him. He's coming for a beautiful church. God is calling you today. Many people here are believers. You've given your life to Christ. Praise be to the living God. There are others here who may not know Jesus Christ in the pardon of your sins, but God offers that invitation to you even today. You don't have to leave this place the same way you came. So after I'm, after I pray and we'll sing a song, there'll be people up here. If you want to know more about this Christ, more about this God, please talk to someone before you leave this place. If you're a believer, and you know God has his hand on something in your life, and you need to pray about it. Come on up. And let's pray. Let's seek the face of God together so that we as a church reflect his glory more and more. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for your church. And I thank you for your sanctifying work. Lord, the love that you have is more than we could ask. It's more than we can imagine. In so many ways, it, it expands and blows our mind. You're great. Greatly to be praised. Have your way, oh God, among us as your people. Make us more like you and glorify your name in and through this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.